others for helping us worship in song this morning. Boy, there's some powerful words in that song, isn't it? It really recounts the gospel message for us and then the hope that we have that Jesus is coming again. What a glorious reminder, what a glorious thought that is for those of us who know him as our Savior. For those who don't know him as our Savior, then uh, it is important for us to take care of those uh, things that God has made possible for us to take care of. And that's the fact that he died on the cross for our sins. That That line in there that God should die for men. God died for men. The God of heaven, the creator of the universe, died in my place. What an amazing thought that is for us today as we think about that great victory that he provided on the cross over sin. My Jesus fair. Indeed, he is more than fair and the fairest of 10,000 as well. All right, we're going to continue our study this morning in Uh, Great messages from the book of Acts. So we will be in Acts chapter 14 this morning. And you know what we see as we work our way through these these sermons, these um, times when God's representatives stand for what is true and what is right, we see um, a very much of an apologetic nature. Okay, now we explained this uh, last week, I believe, the idea of an apologetic nature. Not that I'm sorry for what I believe, but a defense for why I believe what I believe. Um, And both Peter and Paul very eloquently give their defense of the gospel, why they stand, why they're willing to die for what they believe in. So this morning we're moving into Acts chapter 14 and we're going to take a look at the title I've given the message this morning is the diverse power of the gospel message. Okay, I remember when I was growing up uh, asking our pastor's wife about that word diverse and sundries. What does that mean? I, I, you know, I was little and I was sitting next to her. Uh, she was my Sunday school teacher at the time. And so I sat next to her for the morning service. And I remember you know, poking her and saying, hey, what does that word mean, divers? Um, her husband was a scuba diver. And I thought maybe she had some firsthand information on that or something. And so I was trying to figure out, what does that word mean? And it was a long time. She didn't answer me because she was intently listening to her husband preach. So she's like, shh, shh. Pay attention. Um, And so anyway, I tried to pay attention, but in my mind, I'm still trying to figure out, what does this word divers mean? Why why are they talking about that in the Bible? You know, my my, uh, Bible at the time had a little line across the top that said divers and sundry uh, something or other. And and so I'm trying to figure out, why is that there? What does it actually mean? Um, My favorite verse that uses that word, I think, is found in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the old King James Version, it says, God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us through his Son. Whew, that's powerful. Yes, he's worked and he's spoken through the prophets who recorded for us God's word. But in the most recent time, the most recent and the most complete revelation has come in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Thank you, God, for speaking to us through your son, Jesus Christ. 
What a great way. Um, since my question to my pastor's wife, I have found out what that word diverse means. And just so in case any of you are wondering, it has, have, has nothing to do with scuba diving or snorkeling, okay? Um, it simply means the, the various ways, the different ways. And, and it's not just always the same way or the same message, um, although the message is always consistent with the very character and the very nature of who our God is. Um, so as we think about this diverse power of God's word, of the gospel message, I think we would all agree that the gospel is indeed powerful. In fact, we know that Paul says over in Romans chapter 1 what the gospel message is. He says it is the power or the dynamite, the dunamis of God. It, the gospel is the very power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This power is demonstrated in different ways as we see throughout the book of Acts. And in this morning in Acts chapter 14, we're going to see how it is demonstrated in the life of the Apostle Paul and his traveling preaching companion named Barnabas. So as we get started this morning, we are going to read just a snapshot of the book of Acts. Okay, I'm not going to read the whole book of Acts. We are going to look at what comes before what we read and look at what comes after what we read. But just as a snapshot of the power of God, we're going to read from Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 15 together as a congregation. So if you would stand with me, we'll read God's word together. Acts chapter 14, verses 8 through 15. Reading together, Dr. Luke writes these words, And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed and said to him with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gate, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven and the earth the sea, and all the things that are in them. Let's pray and ask God to bless our time together in his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and we thank you so much for your word. We know that your word is powerful. We know that your word is the only thing that you use to save man today. Uh, your word has always been the message that you communicate to us. It brings power, brings salvation to those in need and who are willing to follow your word. 
Thank you for preserving your word down through the ages, the same power that you used to inspire the word of God, you have used to preserve the word of God down through the times, so we know that we hold in our hands an accurate rendering of, you, of what you want us to do and how you want us to live life. So thank you for that. Thank you for your activity in our lives and that it continues today, even in 2023, so many years after the death and the resurrection and the ascension of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We look forward to our time together in your word this morning. Ask your blessing upon it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, and I think I need to have a drink. All right, so as we pick up our text this morning, uh, we want to first of all see the convicting power of the gospel message. The convicting power that the gospel, when it is preached, when it is taught, when it is read, the convicting power that the gospel brings with it from the Holy Spirit. What is it that brings about the conviction? Well, the key is found over in Romans chapter 10, where we read, and we've talked about this many times, we read this, so then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the what? By the word of God. Conviction can only come when the word of God is spoken, read, and applied to the life of a child of God, or to one who is uh, perhaps under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at verse 1 of chapter 14 again with me, if you would. It says there that Paul and Barnabas went to the synagogue and did what? It says, so they spoke that a great multitude, both Jews and Greeks, believed. They spoke. So we might now stop and ask ourselves the question, well, what exactly did Barnabas and Paul speak? What did they preach? What did they teach? What is it that brought about the conviction to the hearts and souls of these people that believed? Well, we're going to take a few minutes this morning and look at Paul's writings and teachings to see what it is that characterizes the things that he spoke. First of all, we see that what they spoke was believable, okay? So in other words, the gospel message is believable. It's not a fairy tale. It's not something made up. It is something that is believable by all people, okay? They spoke, and a great multitude believed. They spoke the gospel. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, something that Paul wrote for us, he explained the gospel. I love these verses, verses 3 through 8. Follow along as I read, or just listen. Paul says this, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. What is it that he received? That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried. Did you catch that phrase? According to the scriptures. And that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day. Say it with me. According to the scriptures. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles, then last of all, he was seen also by me as one born out of due time. So this is their pattern for Paul and Barnabas. In verse 21 we read, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. 
In chapter 13, where we were last week, verse 5, we see, and when they arrived in Salamis, they preached what? The word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. Verse 32 reminds us the very meaning of the word gospel. He says this, And we declare to you glad tidings, that promise which was made to the fathers. God has fulfilled this for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus. So this is not something new that Paul and Barnabas are preaching and teaching. It's something that is recorded and has been recorded in the pages of Scripture. The the people who have read the Scriptures and abide by the Scriptures, they know it. It is very believable. It is something that brings conviction to the heart of those who are outside of Christ, and it encourages those who are part of the body of Christ, who believe and have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. So not only is it believable, though, but we also see what they spoke they spoke boldly they spoke boldly they weren't timid about preaching the gospel we we read here in acts chapter 14 therefore they stayed there a long time doing what speaking boldly in the lord who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Not only did they speak the good news of the gospel message, but they spoke that message with great boldness. Why did they speak it with boldness? Well, back again in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul clearly states his bold approach to the gospel. How did he state it? He said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. There's nothing that I kind of step back about and wonder if it's true or accurate. I am not ashamed in any way of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's where that next phrase comes in. Because it is the power of God. What is it powerful for? Well, it brings salvation to everyone who believes. To everyone who believes. First, it's given to the Jews in obedience to the great commission that God gave to us. Go into all the, the world and preach the gospel, starting first of all in Jerusalem, then going to Judea, then to Samaria, and then to the uttermost parts of the earth. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in the gospel, this is how powerful it is, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just man or woman shall live by his faith. So Paul was bold about the gospel message. He was not ashamed of the gospel message because it is the most powerful message that a person could ever communicate. We also see that this powerful message, this convicting message, has a, had a kind of a twofold result. First of all, it says that people believed what was being said. They were believing the scriptures as it was being taught. Secondly, and here's your point here, secondly, we see that the unbelievers became belligerent. You see, the gospel message sometimes puts the deliverer of the gospel message into a difficult position. Why? Because the gospel is convicting. The gospel is something that people who are living in sin don't necessarily like to hear. 
So when you preach and teach the gospel message, sometimes people are going to be offended by it and they're going to oppose you. And that's exactly what happened here in Acts chapter 14. As they were preaching, as they were teaching the word of God, the unbelievers became belligerent. You know, when somebody's under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, there's a battle that goes on. And you know that, who that battle is with? It's a battle between Satan and God and Jesus who died for our sins. Satan doesn't want to give you up as an unbeliever. And, and Jesus, if he's called you, if God's called you to be part of his family, Satan ain't going to win that battle. But it doesn't mean it's going to be an easy battle. We must continue to preach and teach the word of God. Conviction is so powerful as it comes from the word of God and the Holy Spirit that Paul and Barnabas were threatened. In fact, people wanted to kill them. They tried to kill them. And this was, I believe, Satan at work through these individuals who allowed them to be used, themselves to be used by Satan to try and wipe out or, or, or get rid of Barnabas and Paul. But they were belligerent. They were not kind. They were not nice. They, in fact, threatened and tried to take their life from them. That's what happens when the word of God sometimes is preached boldly to others. So as we move on into the next section, the, power, the part of the section that we read this morning, we see another powerful aspect of the gospel message. We see the corrective power of the gospel message in verses 8 through 18. The gospel is so powerful that it is able to correct those who are in sin or in error. We see here in verses 8 through 18 that Paul and Barnabas faithfully confessed the word. They faithfully spoke the word. This man heard Paul speaking is what the text says. And guess what Paul was speaking? You guessed it. He was speaking the word of God. He delivered truth to the listeners so that they could be set free. Remember in Romans chapter 10 verse 17 it says again, so then faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the what? The word of God. So what Paul and Barnabas were speaking was the word of God that brought conviction, that brought the powerful message of salvation. It indeed brought faith to the minds and the hearts of these individuals. You see, the only message Paul would speak would be that message that brings life. He'd experienced that message. And he wanted others to hear it and know it and respond to it. So he preached and he spoke the message of the gospel. And then the next part, as we move on into the text, we see that Paul challenged those in the crowd with the word of God. He challenged them. He literally said to them, hey, what are you going to do with the word of God? Paul observing him, this is a particular individual observing this man who was crippled, never walked before in his life, didn't know how to walk, couldn't walk. He observed him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice to this man who had never walked before in his life, he said, stand up straight on your feet. And don't you love what the man did? He leaped and walked. He leaped to his feet and he walked. But did you see what Dr. Luke says Paul noticed? Paul observed the man. He was looking at the man and he saw that he had faith to be healed. It was faith that healed this man. Nothing else. It wasn't, it wasn't the words of Paul. It wasn't the, the desire of the man. It was the faith that healed them. And what is faith? It is based on the word of God. It's based on the, the word that Paul was preaching and teaching. But how did Paul know this man had faith? 
I think that's a fair question. I think it's an interesting question. I think it's a question that can be asked. Here's the way. It was, Paul knew he had faith because he saw the man respond to the word that was preached. He saw his intent desire to hear more and to know more. And it's like, hey, I, I, I got to have more information. I gotta, I, you got to give me more to go on here. I need more of this word that you're talking about. I need to have it. And so Paul saw that. He understood that. He received the word of God. Earlier we said that Paul um, heard this man speaking, and the verb actually means to be in the habit of listening. Hmm. Not just hearing it in one ear and out the other. He was in the habit of listening. Listening means that he heard and received the word and obviously was applying what he learned to his life. So Paul challenged this man to respond to the preached word of God. I appreciate the comment that MacArthur makes regarding the actual hearing of the lame man. He says, although today's believers do not possess miraculous healing power as Paul did, the principle is instructive. God's power is absolutely necessary if his work is to be accomplished. Ephesians 6.10 and 1 Peter 4.11. The power to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, as Paul writes in Ephesians 3.20, comes to all believers at salvation. The power of the Holy Spirit is released in believers' lives as they walk moment by moment in obedience to the truth. That enables them to be used as agents through whom no physical healing occurs, but rather the transformation of the soul in salvation and sanctification. What is the goal of the Word of God in the life of the child of God? First of all, it's salvation, right? God wants you to be saved. How are you saved? Through the reading and the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God. And then, after you've been saved, what is the goal of the Word of God in your life? To grow. Sanctification. To become more and more like Jesus Christ. You see, sanctification is a multifaceted thing in the life of the child of God. There's the beginning of sanctification when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior. You've been set apart from that moment forward into the family of God. And then there's the idea of sanctification after that, which means each day of my life I should be growing, I should be becoming more and more like my Savior Jesus Christ. I should be reading his word, studying his word, applying his word to my life, and allowing his word to make me more like who? More like Jesus. And then there's ultimate sanctification, that when I get the glory and I see my Savior face to face, what happens to me? I become like him. Because I'll see him as he is. That is the third part of sanctification. So MacArthur says that it's the, the, the word is good for transformation and the soul of the salvation and then for sanctification. You see, the point is that God's power made the healing possible just like God's power helps us accomplish all that God wants you and I to accomplish today as we live for him. We also see in our text this morning that the word of God removes confusion. You say, what do you mean, Pastor? Who was confused in our text this morning? Remember we read about what was happening after Paul and Barnabas preached and people were believing and they thought, wow, these guys, these, must, these guys, Barnabas, he must be Zeus 
And, and, and Paul, he must be Hermes. The gods have come down to live with us, to dwell with us. They've taken on flesh. Well, they had, they had the, the application wrong. God had come down in the form of Jesus. Jesus did take on flesh. And it was Jesus that Paul and Barnabas were talking about and preaching. And so when Paul and Barnabas found out that these people were confused and wanted to worship them instead, what did they do? They said, no way. They spoke truth into their lives so that they would understand and know, yes, God did come down. His name was Jesus. And he died on the cross for our sins so that we might have everlasting life. Paul and Barnabas weren't disguised as humans. They were literally humans. And they said to these people who desired to worship them, hey, listen, we're people, we're men just like you. Don't worship us. We don't deserve to be worshipped. We will not accept your worship. They, in fact, pointed them to the Word of God. You see, they stuck to the Word of God. If you and I stick to the Word of God and, 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 and understand that we need no other revelation, the confusion then is often removed. Paul and Barnabas simply declared God's Word to those who they were in the midst of. They refused the worship. They reminded them that they were men like they, and in fact, they were encouraging them to worship and praise God. You see, what a privilege it is for you and I to be the instruments that God uses. It's easy sometimes for us to say, wow, look what I did. I should get some credit for that. Mm -mm. It's all about God. When God saves an individual, when God causes a person to grow in their walk with him, maybe to make a decision for baptism, it's not about what I do or you do. It's about the word of God that goes forth into their lives and challenges them to live as they ought to live. And, and so when you and I, we have questions, we have concerns, where do we go? Yeah, Vonnie, you got it. Right to the book. Right to this Bible, this is the source that God has given to us and preserved for us. That is indeed where we go. And when things work out the way God wants them to, all the glory, all the praise, all the honor gets pointed right back to him. Given right to him for what he has done. So we're going to move into now this third aspect of the power of the gospel message. And we see that the comfort, it's the comforting power of the gospel message in verses 21 through 28. It's the comforting power. Oftentimes you and I need to be comforted in, in our daily life, don't we? Things come up and it, it just kind of weighs us down. It's just like, oh, really? And it kind of takes all the wind out of your sails. Why? So what do we do? I remember talking to a guy in, in Africa. Uh, we hadn't been there very long. We were living in the first place we lived in, and we had only lived there for a year. We only lived there totally for a year. So I was out washing my car, actually, um, and, and this guy comes uh, walking up the, uh, the cul-de-sac where we lived, and he says, Are you the pastor? We hadn't been there very long. And, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor. Uh, so um, I have some questions for you. And he started asking me questions. Found out that he's the pastor of another church. Um, and uh, so my, one of my questions after we, he asked his questions, I asked, I have a question for you. Um, can you tell me what do you believe about the, what we might call the fundamentals of the faith? He says, the funny what? I said, no, 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 no. The fundamentals, like the authority of the word of God, the virgin birth and those kinds of things. Oh, he says, oh, you, you, know, you can take them or we can leave them. Uh, I'm like, you're what? 
Yeah, it's not all that important. I said, well, what is important? He said, well, the way I feel. When God talks to me, I feel this or I feel that. And I said, no, hold on. We got to stick with the word of God. We can't vary from the word of God. It can't be based on our feelings. It has to be based on what God has revealed in his word. And, and he was taken aback by that, that I would take a stand solely on the word of God. You see, first of all, the word of God comes to bring per- salvation to mankind. It energizes us to salvation. That's what the word of God does. And then as we live our life, we allow God to speak to us through the pages of his scripture. And it brings great comfort. I asked that guy, I said, so what do you do? I said, I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I wake up on Monday morning after a a long day on Sunday, and I, I don't really feel all that excited about serving the Lord. I'm tired. I'm, I'm a little wore out. Um, uh, and he said, well, I just ask God to give me more. Fill me up. Give me better feelings. I said, you know what I do? I go to the book. And I read. And I let God's word encourage me. And God's word is very comforting as we go to his word and we allow his word to just wash over us. It does amazing things in the life of the child of God. As I said, one of the things it does is it energizes to salvation. We see it again in verse 21 where it says, They preached the gospel in Derby. And what happened in Derby? Many disciples were made in that city. They preached the word, and guess what? People got saved. The only way one can come to salvation is through the preaching of the cross, the preaching of the death, the preaching of the burial and the resurrection, and the life of Jesus Christ and his promise to come again. That's the only thing that can bring salvation. Pastor, how do you know that? Well, we've read it before, Romans chapter 10. So faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The gospel energizes salvation. We also see that the gospel empowers the followers of Jesus. Right here in the text, the gospel empowers the followers of Jesus. How does it do that? Well, they encouraged the souls of the disciples. Who did? Paul and Barnabas, as they were preaching, they encouraged the souls of the disciples. This encouraging and strengthening is what we call discipleship. It's essential for continued growth in the body of Christ. It's clear from the different passages that the word is what strengthens disciples and causes them to grow. Listen to just a couple verses. Acts chapter 20, we'll eventually get there in our study. Verse 32 says, now, So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able, listen to this, what the word of his grace does, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Oh, the word of God allows us to grow. The grace of God allows us to experience this comfort and be encouraged. Over in 1 John chapter 2, verse 14, John writes this, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. Did you catch that? I have written to you fathers. Then he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. What's the emphasis here that empowers believers? It's the word. It's the word of God. God's word empowers us. God's word brings comfort to us. That's why I tell you that the word of God is the only and all sufficient means by which you and I do the Christian life. We live our life based on the word of God. And we really don't need anything else to move forward in the Christian life. Now, some people have asked me, Pastor, why do you believe that? It's not because I'm obstinate. It's because I'm convinced it's what the word of God says. 
It's what the Word of God teaches. Um, I brought with me this morning a, a chart, and I'm going to spend a lot of time here, but I mentioned this chart earlier, and so uh, a couple weeks ago, so I thought I'd throw it up here and say, well, it's a good thing you're not going to spend a lot of time here because you really can't see it. But here you go. Let's take a quick look at it. It's, a, it's the book of Acts is at the very top of the, of the chart, and you see all of the other books, or not all, but most of them, James, Galatians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Romans, um, they all fit into, the, all those books fit into the book of Acts. The last section here are books that were written after the completion of the, 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 the book of Acts. And in these books, you will see a lot of talk about sign gifts and the others hearing revelation from God. But once you get to like, I mean, like First and Second Peter, Peter's writing to churches, right? And you would think that if it was important for churches to still have that ongoing revelation, Peter would have said something about it. But he doesn't, because the canon is coming closer and closer to completion, and we don't need it anymore. And so um, as we look at it, um, I'm not saying that God doesn't ever speak to people today. I I won't put God in that kind of a box. That's not my job to call that. But it's if you study the scriptures, you go back to the very beginning, the number of times that God spoke to individuals, kind of few and far between. Not there very often. He He did do it. He did a lot more in the Old Testament. But as we get to the end of the New Testament, it's happening less and less. Why? Because we have the Word of God. God can do anything He wants. He can speak to you loud and clear. He could open up the heavens and speak to us this morning if He wanted to, but He doesn't need to because we have this book. And, and God takes His Word very serious. He tells us that it is perfect. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, he reminds us that his word is perfect. He tells, men, he tells us that the people who wrote his word were holy men. That's how seriously he takes it. They were holy men of God who were born along by the Spirit. They were moved by the Spirit to communicate his word to us. And then he tells us that we shouldn't really add to it or go beyond. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul is writing and he says to people, don't go beyond what is written. Written here, in the word. Don't go beyond it. Revelation talks about not adding to or, or taking away from the word of God. So we see here that the word of God encourages the souls of the disciples. It strengthens the souls of the disciples. We also see that they, Paul and Barnabas, used the word of God to exhort one another. They exhorted those followers of Jesus Christ with the scriptures. He said, you guys need to be steadfast. You need to be committed to the scriptures, to the word, to continue in the faith. No matter what came their way, they would face challenges, but the word of God would encourage them. The, the source of their faith would encourage them to be faithful and to remain strong in the faith. This word encourages, this word encouraged here, it means to come alongside of and support of. We even see how uh, to continue in faith by being obedient to the word. Paul is saying, be steadfast, continue in the faith, continue in the source of your faith, which is the word of God. And then he says, in his exhortation to them, he says, stand strong, stand strong. Through many tribulations, he said, we must enter the kingdom of God. The key here is perseverance. We persevere, we move on, and we continue being faithful to what God has called us to. When I was growing up, my mom used to, 
her, one of her uh, songs that she liked was, I never promised you a rose garden. Well, Christ never promised us that life would be easy, did he? In fact, he told us quite the opposite. Remember when he said, if the world hated me, the world will also hate you. The world persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Peter has said something very similar in his first epistle. He said, but may the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect you, establish you, strengthen you, and settle you. Wow. How does that happen? Through the word. We should be ready to face persecution. Remembering that God will bring us through anything we face to his honor and to his glory. And that's another reason why we memorize God's word. We put it into our hearts and into our minds. So that when we do face those difficult times, the Holy Spirit can pull that word up and give it to us to use at any given moment in time. So they were exhorted and they were um, encouraged as the word empowers, empowered them. And then lastly, we see that Paul and Barnabas used the word to establish them, to establish the body of believers where they were ministering. How did they do that? Well, they appointed elders. Paul and Barnabas wanted to make sure that the baby church was left in good hands, that they could stand strong no matter what was coming. Paul and Barnabas knew that they couldn't stay. They couldn't remain there indefinitely, so they appointed others who were committed to the word to elder, to shepherd, to care for them. They took the necessary steps to make sure that the church would be grounded in the truth and grow in the things of God. It says that they also prayed and fasted when they appointed these elders This is a very serious thing Paul and Barnabas were doing. So they approached it in a serious manner. They sought the Lord's will rather than just do what they thought was best, the first thing that maybe came to their mind. They did what God told them to do after fasting and praying about it. And then it says that they commended them to the Lord. Not only did they appoint godly men to care for them as the under-shepherds, but they also turned them over to the Lord. There is no better place to be, my friends, than in the Lord's hands and in the Lord's care. That's where we need to be. When we left South Africa for the last time, it was hard for us to leave. You know, we had had poured a lot of energy, a lot of time, a lot of effort um, into planting that church. God had built relationships into our hearts, into our very beings. And, And it was hard to leave. A lot of tears were shed as we were leaving South Africa. But when we left, it was different. That last time was different than every other time. Because every other time we knew that we were coming back. And we would see these folks again and we'd be able to serve with them and minister with them. But this time it was different. We had helped them call a pastor. We'd help them choose good leadership. But most important was that we had taught them and trained them the sufficiency, the importance, and the significance of using the word of God to govern their decisions and help them rule their life. They were and are his children, even though we had the privilege of working with many of them. That's what made it so hard to leave. But you know what? We had to commend them. We had to commit them to the Lord's care. Why? Because the Lord is so much better at caring for his children than we are. 
We're just people. We're just men. And though we do our best to care for one another, we have to trust them to God and to his word. God cares so much more for every one of his children than any pastor can. That's not to make an excuse for the pastor not to do his work. But it is to remind us that God will care for you because he said he would. So as we look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, we see that Paul says it is the very power of God. In Acts chapter 14, we see that it is indeed extremely powerful in the life of Paul and Barnabas. It, was, it has the power to convict. It has the power to heal. It has the power to comfort. And those of us who know Christ as our Savior, we've probably experienced that power in our lives again and again. As we entrust ourselves to the care of God, we understand that this message of the gospel, it's not just for salvation. It's what keeps us going day after day after day after day. It's what allows us to serve our Lord faithfully and, and, and wholeheartedly because he has given to us what he wants us to do in the pages of Scripture. What a privilege it is for us to see that power at work in our lives and to know that it is at our disposal not for us to build our own kingdoms but for us to honor and glorify our God who alone is worthy of that amazing honor and all the glory that we can bring to him. To his name. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you today thanking you for the power of your word. Father, your word is so powerful. It brings conviction, it brings life change, not just a temporary life change, but it brings an eternal life change. It rightly relates us to you. The word of God is that powerful tool that you use to bring about salvation in the life of mankind the word of god is also that powerful tool that you use to help us grow to become better disciples of jesus christ father our goal is to become better and better followers of jesus christ and we want to do that well and your word does that and then father your word challenges us to remain steadfast and committed and it brings great comfort and great hope to every child of God, as we read it and as we study it. Thank you for the powerful gospel message, the word of God that endures throughout all generations for time and eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.